This is an AMI podcast. Welcome to the best of Double Tap on YouTube. Your chance to catch up on the videos we posted this week. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Double Tap on YouTube. And today, Sean, we're going to talk about dating, not you and I, though. Oh, why? So don't put anything off the table, Stephen Scott. You know, we are, we are married on the show virtually. That's right. You are my work wife. That is very true. Uh, listen, with us today, we have a fantastic guest who I'm so pleased is here to talk about her own experience of online dating, but, you know, generally about the experience. And I think, you know, around this time of year, around what I call lovey-dovey time, Valentine's Day, uh, it's a nice chance to think about, you know, the ways we can date as uh, blind and, and low vision people. Uh, with us here uh, today is someone who's well known to the AMI family and uh, for many BBC listeners to In Touch and other programmes as well. You will know Fern Lullum. It's great to have you here with us, Fern, today. Hello, Stephen. I feel like a bit of a third wheel already here. Now, this is a story of my life, to be honest, but uh, thank you very much for having me. Not at all. Please save us. That is uh, why you're here. Save us, please. Uh, you need to move to that number two position very quickly. Um, listen, it's great to have you here. Uh, you know all about online dating. It's not an area, I have to be honest, it's not something I've ever done, ever tried. I am back. I'm old enough to remember the days when I used to start online conversations with A slash S slash L. If you're old oh, enough, yeah. remember that. Yeah. If you're old yeah. enough to remember yeah. that, then uh, then yeah, well, you're old. Um, but this was a that was kind of age sex location was the first thing you'd always type in, right? Um, and that was to kind of I don't know, I guess get a conversation going. Weirdly enough, everybody was 27. Don't know why that was. Everybody seemed to be 27. <laughs> don't know why, but there you go. Uh, but online dating has changed a lot. And it's it certainly become, from what I remember back in the day, being something that people were quite shy about, almost ashamed to talk about, to kind of being the place to go, right? The place to go and, and almost the norm today. Yeah, I think so. I saw a survey back in 2019, which five years ago now, um, a third of people were using online dating to meet their partner. And I'm sure that's only skyrocketed with the pandemic and everything else. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, the pandemic. Um, I mean, that's right. I, I guess, though, is it different for disabled people? Did, were we? I mean, we're always a bit ahead of the curve when it comes to technology. And I imagine online dating... Maybe something that, that disabled people maybe get into first? Perhaps so. I think for me, the main reason for using it is I can't do any of the eye contact stuff, you know, that you can do just to dip your toe in the water. Like, are they looking at me? Are they giving me the vibes? I can't do any of that. <laughs> so I just thought, let's cut all of that out, cut to the chase and start chatting to somebody. That's why I chose it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's just a practicality there, right? You, it's so much more difficult. Um, if you're blind and visually impaired and other disabilities as well, to make that first interaction, to pick up on those signs, those signals. So online dating makes total sense. But there is always that safety concern for me with online dating. Yeah, I know what you mean in terms of safety. I think it can be a bit of a... I suppose the thing is, for a long time... That was the main thing that you heard, wasn't it? You know, it's not safe. You, you don't know who you're meeting, all of that kind of stuff. And I think you need to keep that in mind. But I, it, well, it didn't stop me, you know, and I'm still here to tell the tale. So 
There you go. <laughs> yeah, you survived. Uh, Make so, of that what you will. <laughs> talk, talk us through that experience because you did go out into the world of online dating. I make it sound like you're some kind of exhibit in some museum. It's like, let's examine this exhibit here that's, that's done this thing. But, you know, you did. Not the you first time, <laughs> but you know you got you know you tried the online dating thing talk us through that experience what it was like talk us about the apps um websites whatever it was that you were using because i think that's what's always intriguing to us as blind people what services are out there that that are available to us yeah so i used a couple of different services i always remember i used plenty of fish um and i i did try i tried both the paid services and the non-paid and what i kind of found was that personally i didn't see much difference between them it wasn't you know like you can easily assume that well if you're paying you're going to get a better experience i didn't really think so and i think the main reason for that is because people are just people wherever you are you're still meeting people you know and we're all flawed and we all have our own mm. pr pros and cons and all that kind of stuff so I, yeah, I used um, Plenty of Fish, like I said. I used, I think I tried eHarmony. eHarmony is the one with all the questions. There's loads of questions for you to answer. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like no pain, no gain. If you get through all the questions, then maybe you'll find somebody who's more compatible to you because they've kind of matched you up in that way. I think that's still how it works. So I feel like, you know, maybe maybe I'm out of the game now. But the one that I had success on, which I met my partner on, was Bumble, which is where the, the ladies start the conversation. Okay, oh. that's an interesting way of doing it. So oh. what's the concept behind that? Is that down to safety reasons? or? Well... I'm not sure if it's safety, but I think quite often maybe what happens is ladies. I've heard that, um, you know, obviously we're talking heterosexually here, but I've heard that quite often men find it quite a lot harder to get attention on online dating than women do. Um, and quite often women are just flooded with loads of messages because quite often guys will just literally send a message to everyone and just see who replies, you know, like just, and Josh even said, my partner even said, that's what he did. Just, you know, shoot your shot to as many people as you can and someone maybe will get back to you. Let's, it's a numbers game, basically. With women, apparently we're more picky and we're like, oh, well, I don't know. So I, I guess this is where Bumble sort of thought, okay, well, if we make the women start the conversation, then she can't just be flooded. The, the men have just got to wait their turn until somebody comes and, and starts the conversation with them. So as a, as, you know, a man or a woman, you can match, you can match each other, um, but it has to be the woman that makes the first move and starts the conversation, or at least it was when I was using the app. I don't know if it's changed since. I, I don't want to get all nanny state on you, but you know, th th this is the thing that terrifies me is that you must get so many messages. Uh, you know, how do you pick out of that who to respond to? Because that's the, I mean, how did you get to Josh? Oh, well, you know, yes, I was absolutely inundated. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I... <laughs> I don't doubt it. Uh, you know, it, it became like a second admin job, you know. Um, but I, <laughs> I basically, you just sift through. I mean, a lot of them you can just write off immediately. And this is going to sound harsh, but it's true because a lot of them will just be saying quite inappropriate things. And maybe this is another what, reason that mm. the Bumble people came up with what they came up with, because a lot of them will just be kind of like sexual advances and you've never, this is the first yeah. message, you know, so, okay. So then there'll mm. just be some people that you just don't, 
click with, um, even just over messages. So, you know, it'll just be a very hard work, hard going conversation. You know, you can always tell, can't you, where there's someone that you just hit it off with and you, you know, back and forth like a tennis match. But some conversations just feel like you're running up a really steep hill because every, you know, you come back with something, you're like, oh, how are you? I'm fine. Oh, right. Uh, you know, and you're just constantly trying to get some kind of momentum and it's just not happening. So again, you're just not going to go to those people. In terms of Josh, it's really an interesting one because I think on his profile, it said something about um, he was a sound producer. And of course, you know, my work in audio, I thought, wow, this is, you know, this could be the one. But there was another part of me because I'd been doing online dating for quite a while at that point. And there was another part of me that was thinking... When you think, oh, this looks like the perfect match, usually it means it's not going to go anywhere because it's too perfect, right? It's too like, oh, this is going to be the one. Mm. It never is. Um, So actually, weirdly, in my head, I thought this isn't going to be the one. And also he lived in Whitstable in Kent, which is about an hour and a half away from me. And I'd had lots of previous experiences with people who liked me a lot, but lived so far away, they just couldn't be bothered to make the commute. And I can't drive, so that's not helpful. Um, And so for those two reasons, I thought this isn't going to happen. That was actually made worse by the fact that when Josh turned up on our first date, the very first thing, or at least one of the first things he said to me was... God, that was a long way. And I thought, well, should we just call it a day now? Because this is not going to go anywhere. Forget it. Here we are. (laughs) Wow. Five years. That's incredible. So five years ago that you started out on this journey, a lot, like you say, will have changed, right? I mean, Sean, I'm thinking immediately about AI. You know, surely it's going to be able to make the whole experience of matching people a little bit easier, right? Because it's can get more detail about you. I mean, well, I, we're saying I that know. a lot. I mean, Computer dating's been around a long time, and I don't know how proven that's been. I think it's all about the connection, isn't it? Just getting people together. And I think it's interesting that you've chosen there, or the, the examples you gave there, Fern, where I'm assuming they're all mainstream, right? Plenty of fish, bumble, yeah. uh, eHarmony. Yeah, yeah. I didn't use any disability-specific sites myself. Because there are... Lots of people always ask this question. I see it a lot is, when do I disclose I'm disabled or my disability? Mm. Do I put it out in my profile, in my bio, or do I wait until the first day? Surprise! I mean, you know, it's a difficult question. I don't know (laughs) if there's a, a clear answer to it. That was the million dollar question for me. And it caused me so much agony, emotional agony in terms of thinking like, what do I do? And I tried all different things. So the first, you know, my first thought process with it was, well, I don't need to tell them before the date because every time I've met other people in the past before I was doing online dating, they've kind of, I never went up to them and went, hi, I'm Fern, I'm blind. So they kind of just got to know me and went, oh, I don't think she can see, you know. And and so I thought, well, you know, let the same principle can apply here. I just won't tell them and then they'll figure it out when we get together. That didn't work very well because basically most of the people that I met, and this is, you know, I'm not exaggerating, most of the people I met when I was using that strategy, I never saw again <laughs> um, because they could clearly tell that mm. something wasn't quite right 
but I don't think they could they could quite work out what it was you know so you you'd go to a coffee shop and I wouldn't be able to see the menu or um you know I'd always kind of linger behind them because I didn't want to walk up to a table that already had someone sitting at it all of those things that you're kind of trying to manage and you're trying to pretend almost to be sighted because I think this was still at the the part where I was too nervous <laughs> to kind of just come out and be like oh yeah I can't see so I was sort of hedging my bets yeah. um, and act, trying to act like I could see, which isn't easy when you can't see. If either of you have ever tried that, I'm sure you know. <laughs> um, and so, oh, yes. so that, yeah. and, and also you're on a date where you're already nervous. So that didn't go very well, basically. And what I started to think, I mean, and I got a lot of advice from friends who said, well, just put it on your profile. And if they don't like you, that's on them. You know, the, the, uh, let's, you know, you, you go girl kind of chat. And the thing about that, that I, a lot of these friends, I'm going to be blunt. I would look at them and I would think, do you know what? You say that, but I think if you were on a dating site and someone did that, you would probably be swiping the other way. So, you know, if I think that about you, I I don't know. And a lot of people haven't met blind, a blind person or a visually impaired person. And so through no fault of their own, they have a lot of stereotypes, misconceptions. That That's the only thing that they can go on because they have no other information. I have some sympathy around this, you know, for people, because why would they know? Why would they know what you're capable of or if they can cope with you or, you know, whatever? Um, and they might, because mm -hmm. they have these yeah. wrong ideas, they might just go, I can't, you know, I can't deal with this. And that's the end of that. So I chose not to put it on my profile, but what I would do as like a compromise, I would kind of drop it into conversation. Once we started chatting on messages, I would kind of drop it in and say so. And I try and make it like a bit cheeky, like, oh, and by the way, my site's not very good. So I might use that as an excuse to hold your hand or, you know, like trying to make it all flirty, flirty. Um, but there is... <laughs> and uh and so the but yeah. the hardest thing about that still is when you send that message and you know that you've kind of just given a little something away you've been a bit vulnerable and waiting for the response like are they going to reply at all like maybe you've just killed the connection entirely are they going to say you know, is the tone going to completely change of their conversation? You realise, oh, actually, they're not interested anymore. Are they going to say something quite mean? Because actually, online dating, we all know that when you're behind a screen, you behave in a different way than you probably would if you were in person. So it's that moment of like, oh, what are they going to say? Waiting for that message back. And if anyone has ever been in that situation, they know what that's like, that heart stopping, you know, every second feels like an eternity when you're waiting for that message back. I think that's a, probably the best way to handle it, though, because otherwise it does seem like, you know, as you said, living in the real world, most people are going to see, you know, blind or disabled and think, OK, let's swipe on. And, and you know, it's, it's harsh, but it, it mm. probably is the reality. And it's, it's always that thing of, you know, getting to know the person rather than the disability that we hear a lot. But it's, it's so true. And I think if you go the other way and say nothing until you actually meet in person, I think there's a feeling of being dishonest with someone and I, I can understand that as well mm. so um can i can i ask you fern i, I want to ask you about the, the dating sites because we kind of just i wanted to ask you this at the time you you mentioned that you went to essentially mainstream sites you didn't 
seek out disability dating services. Now, was that because there just weren't many options or because you didn't want to go down this route? Because you know what I'm asking you, right, which is that ultimate question that all blind people seem to have this debate internally about, which is, do I want to date someone who is disabled or not? That's that's a big question as well yeah. in our lives, right? Which some people are very up for answering. Some people feel very nervous about answering. Where do you stand? Not that I'm putting you on the spot, yeah. you understand. No, of course, you would never dream of it, would you, Stephen? I never. think that that is a really good point because it's very easy, like I say, uh, to have that kind of attitude of, you know, if they don't like you for your disability, then that's on them. But to be honest, let's, you know, let's really just say it as it is. Even as disabled people, some of us may think, I don't want to date a disabled person, you know, because I've mm-hmm. got enough yeah. going on of my own. I don't need, to, you know, somebody else's as well. So... Yeah, that that does come into it. And I would say that I wasn't adverse to, um, you know, dating a, uh, a disabled person, but I didn't want to just cut that um, option off of dating somebody who didn't have a disability. You know, I kind of wanted a bit of everyone, you know, so I thought mainstream would be the best way to go because I, I kind of just didn't want to put myself in a box. And I think also when I started out, I didn't want to kind of play into that idea that if you're disabled, you must date another disabled. Because I had that when I started dating Josh. Hilariously, um, I pulled up to work um, in Josh's car. Josh was driving. I I didn't pull up to work. Um, Josh Josh (laughs) dropped me off at work. He was driving the car, just to make that absolutely clear. I got out Mm -hmm. the car. And later on, I heard that two of my colleagues had had a conversation like, oh, you know, that's, you know, they obviously knew that was my new boyfriend. And one of them had said to the other, oh, do you think he's blind as well? Which he was driving a car. So I I don't think he was. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I say that to say that that notion is so ingrained in people that if you're disabled, you would date another disabled person, that even when the evidence is screaming in your face that clearly that's not the case, it's still like, well, that must be the case because, you know, that's how it works. And it's funny because I think about it from my own point of view. I remember having this conversation. I went to a a mainstream secondary school, which, you know, we had a visual impairment unit. and, And one of the conversations we'd have in the unit quite a lot was, who we'd like to date, who we'd think we'd marry in the future, right? It was just one of those things you have a chat about at school in those years. And I remember being quite forthright and saying, I will not ever date a disabled person. It will never happen. And almost mm. everybody I dated was disabled. And I never intended it to that. And then my <laughs> wife is is blind, or at least low vision, as she would say. And, you know, I think that's so interesting that you, you – at the end of the day, you can't help who you fall in love with. You can't help who you end up with, who you end up falling for, right? That's, it's, it comes irrelevant. So, you know, but obviously you've got to start somewhere. That's the point, right? Yeah, of course. And what I would say is I think all of us can stand to have an open mind because even if it's not disability, and I'll give you a case in point, Josh actually at the time, I don't know, I can't remember if it said this on his profile, but he was a DJ. And I am somebody who likes an early night, isn't about that rowdy nightlife. I think I could have judged him on that and gone, oh, well, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be all all the women all over him all the time. You can't trust him. And that's not, you know, Josh is many things, but he is not that. He is like computer, Lego playing, video game enjoying geeky guy which you know that's fine sounds cool exactly exactly (laughs) it's just what i wanted but i could have just gone no 
I'm not going to go, but, you know, because we all have that yeah. bit of judgment, don't we? And so we just all need to say, maybe I need to explore this and see if what I think is true is actually true. Yeah, absolutely. Those preconceptions we've all got. It's very interesting. So h- have you come off all those sites now? <laughs> oh, don't so. tell Josh. Only the ones of course I have, of course I have. I've come or any any of them that I use are purely for research oh, purposes only, of course, for reports and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good line. Yeah, I've, I've used that line a few times in my life, I must admit. Um, so <laughs> question is, though, you know, in that research, because I know you do you do talk about this and you've you've done reports on this in the past and you've talked about it, is what's the difference today, do you think, in, in the apps? And, and, and you know, is, I know accessibility is obviously the big question mm. for most of us. Well, I know that they have m- much more features now uh, like audio messaging and video calls. And I think that's really good because then it, it doesn't just rely on looking at pictures and reading text, which, you know, it can be challenging. Um, because I always remember when I was on it, the, the text some of these sites use in, in, in the messaging, you couldn't make it bigger. It was just and I would have to like copy and paste it onto note like clipboards to try and reply to because they're too small. But I think on the point of this idea of video calls and audio, I think that's a really good thing because having that's the strategy I started to employ before I would meet people. Because it, it takes a long time to get ready for a date. You know, you've got to like polish up. You've got to actually get out of your pajamas for once in your life. This is a big deal, right? So you don't want to do all of that, which I did so many times, just to, in the first five minutes, think, well, this was not the right, you know, you, you were a really good writer. You sounded great in your, um, in, you know, in your texting, but in person, not the case, which happens a lot. So have a phone call or a video call and just see if actually when you're talking as opposed to texting, because you could you could just get your mate. That's what I thought a lot of times. I thought, has this person just got somebody else to write their messages? Because they are not, they don't match their mm. messages. So if you actually have a chat, see if the chemistry is flowing between you when you're actually talking to them rather than just messaging them. One final question in regards to the safety question. I think it's an interesting comparison and because... From your perspective as a woman, I'm intrigued by this. Is there a difference being a blind woman meeting someone in a pub? How can I ask? Let me let me ask this another way. If you're a woman, a blind woman in a pub, mm. and you meet someone, do the safety concerns are they the same as far as you're concerned as meeting someone online? What I mean by that is you can't see them in the pub. You don't know what they look like. You don't know them necessarily by. By visual features. So is there any major difference between that and, and the online, do you think? I I suppose, yeah, that I mean that's a really good point. I I suppose there there aren't there or there isn't that much difference. I guess online, you know, you can literally say you are whoever um and you might be able to pick up on some cues in person, you know, even if you can't really see them very well. Mm. But I think you just have to know, you know, you just have to have your wits about you, I think. I always made sure I meet uh, the person in an area that I was really used to. So I'd always meet like kind of in my hometown. I would never go to them first time just, just because I'm comfortable here. I know where I'm going. I'd always meet in the daytime and have a coffee 
Um, also, because coffees don't last as long if it's not going well, you can leave. Uh, that's on the side. <laughs> Always tell that's someone where you're going. You know, just just the basic things, um, and just just take it slow. And uh, I think that's that's all you can do. Which is very similar to to you know, if you meet someone in a pub. I mean, I would say. A lot of times people say, oh, people are so judgmental online and it's such a big risk online. But actually, I think you make a really good point, Stephen, that it's true whether you're meeting someone in person or whether you're meeting online. There are risks to both. There are judgments in both. It's not like everyone walks around in the real world not judging each other at all. We know that's not true. So, you know, I think people can be very harsh on online dating. And I think as long as you have that in the back of your mind and like I say, just be aware of it then, I, you know, I think all we can do is what we can do to keep ourselves safe. And then the rest of it is kind of just putting it in the hands of fate. And of course, the great thing is because you've had this online relationship, it means when Valentine's Day comes around, you can just send each other an e-card and save the hassle of an actual <laughs> card and so flowers true. and all that nonsense. Yeah, I mean, we haven't yeah. actually met in person. We're still just um, communicating, you know, over... Uh, <laughs> I think that's the best way to have Still an on- email. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the best have relationship. A relationship. Yeah. yeah, I think that works. Uh, Fern, thank you so much for coming on, as always. Uh, you've got to come back on soon because uh, I know you've just qualified as a psychotherapist. Is I that right? I have. So I know all your secrets now. Wow. <laughs> now I'm well, worried. I have to say, I'm probably <laughs> an open book, so you could probably tell anything you want from me. Uh, Sean, on the other hand, I don't know. I don't think there's much there. <laughs> there's nothing. I'm an empty book. Oh, Sean. <laughs> You're listening to the best of Double Tap on YouTube. I've, I've, I've titled this video Technology Fatigue, which some might think is a little bit odd for a new YouTube channel to dive straight in, talking about technology and dive straight into the subject of technology fatigue. Um, oh. But I think I, I've been hearing this more and more online. I've been reading a lot of articles from people who are just a bit fed up with where things are with tech. Some people think it's staying static for too long. Some people think that the AI bubble has maybe burst a little bit and it doesn't feel like it's Already? living up to expectations. Yeah, because wow. look, I, I, I want to pick up on this because I think the AI, we'll start with AI. I think that a lot of us see the potential for AI, but that's the problem. We all see potential, but what it's actually offering us at the moment is maybe not living up to that potential. So I think about ChatGPT, for example, and I think about, you know, how good it is, but then the hallucinations, the things it gets wrong, mm. um, the, the lack of, of ability for it to do some basic tasks. I mean, if I search online, as I was doing the other day, I was trying to find a company uh, representative to speak to on the show about something. And, you know, I thought, I'll just ask GPT, can you find me the details? And it's like, nope, can't do that. Can't give out email addresses. Can't do this. Can't do that. What? And I can just go to Google and do it. You know, yeah. so what's the point in this? So I feel that in some ways it's kind of we've moved forward a great deal, but all I'm getting is more eloquent denials of uh, res- of answers from my information. Ooh, eloquent denials. Someone's gone posh. That sounds very yeah. good. Let's rename the episode. Rename it immediately. <laughs> I like that. Eloquent denial. Well, I got to say, yeah, I think you're right. I think the key thing here is the word potential. It's what we constantly mm. say. Hey, the potential for this, self-driving cars, the potential for this, uh, and AI is something that... But is that is that on the developers, the providers of AI, or is that on us? Are we jumping the gun? Because AI, since ChatGPT, it's all we talk about. It's been um, 
hammered and nailed into every service out there. I mean, you know, there's going to be a co-pilot button on your keyboard in the future. There's going to be co-pilot in every single service. And it goes to everything. It's almost like when we had smart devices. Suddenly we got smart toothbrushes, smart B-days. Everything is smart. Now everything is AI. And can it possibly live up to that expectation that we've got for it of just solving everything? Yeah, I'm not well, convinced. I think that's a separate point because I think there is a question mark over what is AI. Uh, I think that the problem is everyone is sticking that badge on their product, but not everything is AI. Oh. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there that I, I think gets called that, but it's really just a catch-all phrase. It's becoming a catch-all phrase. And you're absolutely right. You know, that word smart was banded about. Yes. And I think what's happening is they're using AI in the same way. So actually, when they say AI, they just mean smart. So maybe, for example, you know, you could say, oh, an AI light switch, because you could, you know, control it with shortcuts. So you could set up a, a routine using your Amazon Echo that would allow you to have the light go on and off at night. It's not really AI. No, it's not. It's just smart. So, you know, I, I think there's levels to this. But what I'm talking about is, is the technology itself achieving what we kind of dreamed it would achieve. Now, of course, it's very good at spitting out information. And, you know, it, it still blows me away sometimes when I use it. And I think, wow, you know, how it's able to take a, a transcript of what we talk about. I mean, what we talk about. I know. <laughs> and, and make some kind of sense out of it. It just blows me away because I can barely make any sense out of it. And I apparently have a functioning brain, although that is yeah. yet to be uh, agreed upon by some experts. Um, but, but I do think that there's a serious question here about where we're at with this. And, you know, it doesn't feel to me as if we're kind of... Uh, we're kind of moving on. I mean, I, I know that image recognition is kind of the big focus for a lot of people at the moment. That is impressive. And certainly that is very useful at the moment. And for us blind people, it's extremely useful to have yeah. images in front of us. Uh, you know, today I was using these uh, Meta Ray-Ban glasses I've got and um, I snapped a picture just of, of the desk in front of me. And it told me that uh, on the desk were some SD cards, three SD cards to be precise, and a watch. And I thought, a watch? And then I felt around and found the watch it was talking about. And I thought, well, that's, I, I wonder where that had gone. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the fact is it was able to determine what things were. It was even able to pick up on things like I had a stream deck on my desk. I had a, a Rodecaster uh, Pro device to, to a mixer to record. It picked up on those things, like specific devices. Yeah. And I thought, that's kind of clever, right? That is kind of clever. And how it's able to do that. And, and that's where I see potential. But, again... It, I wonder if it's maybe that, and this is why my question today, is it that we are at that point where we've we've just kind of exhausted ourselves talking about it and we should actually be focusing on what amazing technology this is or is it because we're always looking for the next thing? Are we looking for the next yeah. thing? Like, for example, video to be transcribed or, or made available live to us so that we can walk down the street and it can tell us, oh, there's a pole in front of you. Um that that's is it? We're just we're so used to the cycle of newness that we're kind of forgetting newness. what we've got. Well, yeah. I mean, what technology do we actually use? Do we find useful right now? Mm. Um, are, are we like you say we're never quite happy? You know, we always want more, and there's nothing wrong with that. But um, fatigue is an interesting word to use fatigue are we actually getting to the point where i'm sick of hearing about it i just want the practical usability functionality of this technology i, I don't want to know in two years it's going to be absolutely amazing what can it do for me right now and i think you're right with, with the hallucinations with ai 
that does that does cause a problem. In our case, as visually impaired people, what are we what do we want from AI? You gave an example there of Be My AI and the amazing things it can do, and it's mm. made a huge difference, and it's fantastic, absolutely. But how does that help me get around? How does that help me find the door to that building, which is you know just in front of me, but it might as well be a million miles away because I can't find where that door is to get in the place? Does it help with that? Uh, not currently, not to a great no. deal. So, the- well, not not without being very slow. And, and you know, I think it's very good at telling you there is a door, but it's not. And it might even tell you roughly where it is, but it can't guide you to it. You know, and it's kind of it feels as if we've got all these elements together. So you've got like lidar in the iPhone, yeah, door uh, detection, you know, you've got all door detection in it, and and yes, there are elements that kind of allow you to see what's in front of you, but the actual navigational part is not quite. There is—is is it because we're kind of expecting? Are we expecting too much from this, or do we feel that it just never takes us the last ten yards? Which, ironically, is a, a blind person's biggest problem—the <laughs> last ten yards in our lives. I feel technology has perhaps got a bit of a last ten yards problem. Well, I mean, it sort of takes us back to the start of the conversation when you you say that. Is is it our expectations that need sort of? Um, dampening down a little bit, or is it down to the marketing and the PR speak of of the actual companies themselves promising but not quite delivering on on those promises? I honestly don't know. I think we do get carried away a little bit ourselves. I mean, I, I could take the Vision Pro, for example. This is nothing to do with AI, so slightly off topic, sorry. But we could take the Vision Pro. I was so excited when the Vision Pro was announced at the Apple event. So excited. But then you know, when you look into the actual practicalities of it, uh, how could I use that? How could I make use of that? And how could it help me every day? You start to think, actually, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm so impressed by the technology, but how is it in practical terms? Uh, well, well, save your thoughts on that because we are going to come back to the Vision Pro in the next episode. Yes. I, want to, I want to pick up on that. Um, but, but I want to ask you about GPS because GPS has been a problem for me for many years, trying to find a good way to navigate <laughs> around. There's lots of apps I find, lots of things I want to do, like just catching the bus uh, and knowing, for example, when the bus is coming, that it's actually the bus I want. I don't have time to take a picture and get analysis from Be My AI on that. It's not going to be enough time. Uh, the bus will be long gone by then, by the time I get that information back. Even if it was within 20 seconds, that's still too long, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that, that, that aspect, I feel like there's that one example of where it's not going far enough. But GPS, you know, I can find my way to the Starbucks. But I, as I once had the experience, you know, GPS took me to Starbucks. It said, you've arrived. And I could not find the way in. And I was completely confused because I was against a very solid brick wall. And I'm thinking, where is the door in this? There didn't seem to be any windows on this building. Yeah. What is going on? And I, someone passed by and asked why I was you know, filling up the local wall. Yes. And uh, I said, well, look, I'm, I'm looking for a Starbucks, which is apparently around here. And he said, oh, it's across the road. And I'm like, of course. geez, of course, right? Yep. It's just across the road. And that's the problem. This is the problem for me. I think that our fatigue perhaps comes from the fact that the technology just never seems to get us to where we want to be. It gets us very close. It, we see all the potential. We see all the goodness. We're so excited about it, but then we're exhausted by it because when in, we get into the real world, it's not as practical as we'd like. It's not as useful for us as we'd like. Now, that can be said for many people, but you know, I'm only talking about blind people, so, you know, there you go. <laughs> I'm only talking to blind people. You're absolutely right, and that's where the... Well, fr- I'm blind, so well, who else are we going to talk about, right? <laughs> exactly. That, that phrase... 
the last 10 yards is exactly where that comes from. I mean, yeah. you know, GPS can say, oh, it's it's five meters GPS drift. So I'm accurate to a, a five meters. Fantastic. But that five meters might as well be five million miles away if you can't see. Yeah. Because it, it, it just disappears. Five meters, I don't know where that is. So GPS gets you in the general location. And then, you know, the last 10 yards is actually finding an entrance to a place. Or is it actually across the road? GPS sounds absolutely amazing. And again, as soon as I got my first smartphone, GPS app on there. And I was thinking, this is amazing. Back in the day, it was just just for cars but now this is for me that's right and you soon realize actually you know i'm walking down a road i've got an hour for lunch i'm walking down a road trying to find a sandwich shop and okay speak to me tell tell me where i am am i going the right way The, the the technology sounds amazing but in practical terms does it actually do what what you want it to do it's um it's a very interesting question. That's coming from you, Stephen Scott, you know, the king of tech. I'm, I'm quite surprised you bring up fatigue, but I totally understand where you're coming from. Yeah, and don't even get me started on once you get into the Starbucks, trying to find the cashier, <laughs> find a table, uh, know what's in the menu. I mean, you know, every single day out is like an adventure. And, you know, pre-planning is the only way to survive yes. as a blind person, really. It is. You know, you've got to be so ahead of the game. Or you just get so used to ordering the same thing. You know, you go into a place, well, you get used to ordering a thing. You do. Always order a burger. You can eat it with your hands and it's nice yeah. and quick. Yeah, the blind for man. Me it's, for me, it's, in Starbucks it's a, or, or, or whatever else it might be, you know, it's usually a Bakewell tart. You usually get one of those uh, or a chocolate muffin. Those are the kind of safe bets, but look, you know. We got the technology there, right, in the form of a service like Ira or Be My Eyes, which connects you via video call to an actual If you human- get signal. If you get, yeah, there's another. This is what I mean. <laughs> yeah, but the, exactly right. That's another example of it, right? The fatigue that sets in. What if you can't get signal? I'm in, I'm in Amsterdam airport. I'm trying to navigate around. I thought I'll be independent. Yeah. I'll use Ira to get myself to the the exit to get to a taxi to get an Uber, and I, I couldn't get signal. I kept losing connection, and then I ended up getting literally grabbed and pulled down a set of stairs. I wasn't even intending to go down. <laughs> but you're going anyway. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it's a good reminder to us all, I suppose, because we do get swept away with the tech and swept downstairs in your case, but we do get swept away <laughs> with the the tech and how cool and uh, great it is and what a benefit it is every day. It, it, it enables me to do the job that I'm doing now, right? And in you as well. Yeah, exactly. So it's absolutely fantastic, but you can't get away from, you need those skills when it comes to mobility anyway. You know, grab that white stick or whatever. You cannot fully 100% rely on technology. You know, something we'll talk about in the future, and we will get into this, is, is my other fatigue, which is uh, companies that design products for us that we don't want, oh. that nobody asks for. Uh, I'm sick about hearing of, of smart canes and, and robot guide dogs. I'm just sick of it. <laughs> so I, I don't want to hear about it. I'm sorry. I've got a white cane that works fine. I don't need it replaced. This is the best of Double Tap on YouTube. Find more videos and subscribe now by heading to YouTube and searching for Double Tap Video Now. Apple Vision Pro. Mm. What's the point? Well, you've changed your tune, haven't you? That was a, a 360, actually. Um, is it, though? Well, is yeah, it? like me, you were so excited when that, you know, when it was announced. We went, this is it. This is the thing for us. You were as excited as anyone else. I was so excited there you when go. Vision Pro came out, right? But yeah. I think there's been a bit of a reckoning going on in my life oh. 
where I've been thinking a lot about this. And I, I think, look, I have to be, I've got to lay this out properly so people understand what I'm, what I'm coming or where I'm coming from here. Okay. I, I think, I think Vision Pro is brilliant. And I think people who, you know, will, will buy it and generations to come, the, the generation two, three, four, whatever one it is that gets to the price point that seems more accessible to more people, I think is going to make a huge difference. It's going to change everything. I don't deny that. The reviews I've been reading say that this device is going to, you know, change everything again, like the way the iPhone did. People are really going to move over to this kind of spatial computing, as they call it. Yeah. Not from this generation. I think you've got to forget the hardware inside this generation for a moment. You've got to forget the weight. You've got to forget the the power, the battery pack, the wires. You've got to forget all that stuff. This is generation one, right? Or even generation zero, zero. I argue. Um, it, it's, it's day one for this product. And you know, it's going to take a long time to get it to the, the form factor that everyone's happy with, with the capabilities and everything else. So let's just let's just accept that, right? But I'm talking as a blind guy here. For me, I'm looking at this product and I'm thinking two things. I'm thinking, what's the point? Why would I buy this? Why would I spend my money buying a device like this? And I guess that, that reason it comes up is because Perhaps I fear a little bit that Apple moved towards this kind of spatial computing as the future. And the world of computing as we know it changes because Apple do guide the way. You know, they changed a lot. I mean, look, BlackBerry was, was, was killed off by the iPhone. No denial of that. So was the right? headphone BlackBerry jack. Was, so was um, CD exactly, drives, a lot of floppy drives, yes. Physical keyboards uh, on phones uh, disappeared. Now, I'm not saying we're going to get, get to the stage where, you know, laptops of old and, you know, MacBooks of old and all that are going to die off. But not. But down the line, who knows? If this is where spatial computing, if this is where computing goes. I mean, this device, this Apple Vision Pro, is a computer on the head. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's got an M2 processor in there. It's got, you know, decent processing more than decent processing. Amazing. It's got all the capability. I suppose part of me worries that it's uh, it, it's the future and we're going to have to buy into this and I don't really know why. And it's also vision-focused, which is a little bit worrying. But then I suppose mm. the other argument is everything's vision-focused, Everything, right? So yeah. I guess that, that argument could stand with anything. It, it gives us sort of chills of the everything is going touchscreen days. I suppose, you know, yes. where we're losing yeah, physical exactly. buttons. How on earth am I going to be able to use that as a visually impaired person? Um, and and also f- physical gestures, right? So yes. I, I know that there are alternative input methods. I get that. And that will be the case for a long time. But again, those are alternative input methods. The main input methods are eyes and hands. Yeah. And, you know, yes, Apple are fantastic with accessibility. They will offer other ways to do it. You can use many different methods. We talked about that before. Lots of different ways to use this device, which is brilliant. But I, again, I just, I think you've hit it in the head. It's it, This is a touchscreen moment for us blind people. And only for us, right? For everyone else, they're all excited about it. Of course. It. Everyone's wanting to buy one. I get it. And I, I don't want to take that away from anybody. I really don't. So sighted people... You enjoy it. If you're having fun with your Apple Vision Pro, enjoy it. I am hugely jealous I can't use it. That's the God's honest truth. <laughs> Me too. But but I do worry for us a little bit here because like the touchscreen moment when we all got very nervous, uh, how do we get around it this time? Because this is vision-focused. There's no way around it. You wear it in front of your eyes. 
Well, I think we're in a better place than we were when touchscreens were introduced because accessibility, I'm going to say this, but I hope most people will agree, is much more thought about now or at least much more listened to when we start shouting about it. I mean, we've already gone through the accessibility features that are in the Vision Pro out of the box. All right, there's so many different Mm. ways, as you've mentioned, to interact with it. Eye gaze isn't going to work for us, so there's a way to use it without that. You can use speech, you can use different gestures, Um, So there's so many different ways to interact with this. But I think for me, it just comes down to, does anyone actually know the use case for this that isn't visual? Because everything I see, everyone's talking about gaming maybe, and um, maybe not so much with Apple, but with VR gaming. And the other use is, of course, watching movies, media consumption. Now, Mm. what is the difference for us from a VR headset and a pair of decent headphones or earbuds, because or, or even just earbuds, just why exactly? Just AirPods Pros. I mean, that to me is that that is the Apple Vision Pro for blind people, right? Absolutely, because you can disregard the visual aspect. Now, of course, we're talking about certain levels of of blindness here, right? Because for low vision, there may be some great use cases for this for for zooming in for increasing contrast it may give you actually better access to uh your computer than a normal monitor you know the the screen james rath blind filmmaker uh, he he tried it on in the apple store he said he could see better as a result of using this headset than he could with his with the naked eye yeah um, with his eye condition. So you're absolutely right. Low vision people could really benefit. I, I think this could be huge for low vision people. Again, I want to be very clear on this. I'm talking about this from my point of view. I'm talking about me. Yes. It's all about me. <laughs> I'm talking about me. Nobody else. No. So you might love it. And for low vision people, it might be amazing. And I wish you all the best with it. And I hope it really does. I want it to be amazing for you. I want all the companies like Orcam and Envision and Be My Eyes and all the specialist companies that create these ridiculously expensive headsets to build <laughs> apps to go into this kind of thing because, honestly, it could change people's lives. I think it really could. I think it could be a huge product. But is it a product for blind people? Now, that leads me on to my next question. Is it okay that blind people don't have a say in this, don't get a seat at this table? Now, we do get a seat at the table. We can buy it. We can use it. But is it okay that we don't, or if we don't. And how does that work out? Of course. I, you know what? I think it's a case of not everything can be accessible to that degree. Now, we've mentioned... Well, that, that's kind of my main question. Is it, are there certain products? Yes. This came up in conversation on Access Tech Live. car. I threw this question in. And he, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Well, maybe one day. Self-driving. But, you know, but, yeah. but Mark made an interesting question on Access Tech, Access Tech Live the other day. He said, um, is it just the case that some products are just not for you? Yeah, and I, I want to be. I and I, and I, and I, 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 I kind of jumped on that and said, "Well, hang on, you know, as long as it's accessible, um, you know, or at least the option is there for accessibility, that's fine." But I think I think we have to maybe just accept the world doesn't revolve around us. Yeah, I, I, and I think most of us do. I mean, that's not to say that it shouldn't be. I mean, for example, going back to the touchscreen, when the iPhone was was first released, it's like, well, we're never ever going to be able to use that, right? Mm. And then accessibility came along. It's like wow, okay, now I get it, and we can use it quite easily. It's fantastic. And there could be a case for things where people say, well, how on earth could a blind person use that in the first place? And I'm sure people are saying that for the Vision Pro uh, in the mainstream 
right now. Absolutely, they yeah. dismiss it straight out, out out of hand. Where in fact, you know, voiceover is built in, and we can navigate around it and whatever else. But I, I think you're right. I, I don't think that everything. It may be usable, but is it practical to use? I, I don't know. But the fear is, that, that, that's almost a side question. The fear is that, okay, is everything going in this direction? Uh, everything was going, as soon as the touch, the iPhone came out and touchscreens just caught on fire, everything was going touchscreen. We were yeah. afraid because it, it was locking us out. And if everything goes to VR headsets you know in the future we're just putting on a pair of ray-ban glasses and everything's overlaid visually i am worried about that sort of future i'm worried about outside of apple for sure yes because i don't believe other companies have the respect for accessibility and those companies will go ahead with visual first audio will be part of it but accessibility is not guaranteed, and it's certainly not guaranteed for us. So I think that there's that that part of it that I do get a little bit nervous about. What happens in the long term? Not from Apple, though. Not from Apple, because I think Apple, you know, is a company that have proven themselves to be a company mm. that really, you know, focuses in on making sure its products are accessible. It does lead me to another question, though, specifically on Apple. It leads me to a question about resources. Now, we blind people who use voiceover on the Mac or on iPhone or Apple TV or iPad or even the watch, yeah, which is available on, and I'm talking here about voiceover because that's what I use, the screen reader. So I use that on all my devices. And a lot of us have noticed degradation over the years. My question is, should we allow or should we expect Apple to point resources to a product like the Vision Pro, say VoiceOver, for example, which is built for blind people to navigate, and t does that take away the resources and development that could go into improving existing VoiceOver capabilities on these other devices? In, in essence, what I'm asking is, does it affect, is it having a knock-on effect if these resources, if this team is being stretched to try and include every product in the line, is there a point where we as blind people should say, right, okay, do you know what, enough's enough. Don't forget Vision Pro with voiceover. Hmm. Forget that. Let's focus on making the Mac a better experience or the watch or the iPhone or whatever it might be and, and not stretch those resources too thin. That's a really complicated question. Um, I kind of agree with you, but then again, we're, we're almost giving a pass for something not being accessible at that point. But a visual product like this, which with the best will in the world for someone who's totally blind with no vision or no useful vision, yeah, is this something you're going to spend that kind of... I mean, today oh, especially, you're not going to spend that money How many people in the mainstream on? are going to spend that money anyway? I mean, you know, the price tag is irrelevant in, in the case of... But at least they can use all of it, right? They can enjoy the TV shows. I, I, I'm kind of joking around when I say, you know, just blind people just buy a pair of AirPods. But that's that's the truth of it's it. It's absolutely You're true. going to get the same experience. Yeah. And you'll save a fortune. And you can buy it today. And you can use it with everything. Oh, calm down. Okay. Yes. I just, I, just I, I worry that I, I, I don't know the answer to this. I don't know how spread, and we'll never know. Apple will never of tell us this. I could ask. No. And they'll never tell me the answer. But if I asked Apple, you know, where are your resources? They'll say, well, you know, we've got plenty of resources. We can 
we know that they have, uh, we know that they're a huge company. You know, I, I pretty much fund most of their, their products yes, you and, do. and purchases and, <laughs> and research and development, I think. But, you know, I know that they're a big company, but I don't think the accessibility team is that big. And I just worry that so much effort is being made to make all these products accessible, which is a good thing. Yes. But, and, and it should be for low vision people, for people with physical issues, for whatever it might be. But for totally blind people, should we give Apple a pass? But that's assuming. I mean, the, the, the accessibility goes beyond, you know, no usable vision, obviously. And we've talked about that, haven't we? Um, different disabilities, etc., and also low vision. So if there's no accessibility team working on that, then they're going to. Miss I'm talking out. about voiceover. I'm talking blind people, totally blind. So you're not saying talking about low vision? Yeah, but there's still got to be an accessibility team to work on other disabilities when it comes to this device. You know, people. Yeah, but you'd have to write voiceover for Vision OS, right? You'd have to build that. So well, just, I mean, resources are being built. No, it's not a copy paste. Right? Well, how file somewhere. No. Voiceover dot setup dot file, <laughs> and then they just copy that into the Vision Pro, and suddenly, oh, there you go. How different solved. is? Oh, it's I, working. How different is iPad OS to iOS? Uh, how different is watchOS to all those? The kernel is probably the same, so porting is is probably not much of an issue. It's all about tuning to the various interfaces, the the eye mm, gaze, I don't know about the that. gestures. If you, if you if you look at all the issues that you have with voiceover, one device to the next, it doesn't sense doesn't give you the mm. sense that there's some kind of um, uniformity between them. Because surely, if something breaks on one device, it would break on the other. Maybe. I yes. think you're wrong, is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think, think you're I, wrong. I picked that up. Yeah. I just think it's dangerous territory to get into to say, ah, well, okay. Why? We'll, we'll give you a pass on this one because it's not really for us. Why is it? Why is why is it dangerous territory to suggest that a product which is built entirely around visuals? Yes. For us blind people to say, do you know what? We'll take a pass on this well, one. Well, because we don't know at the minute. Maybe this is down to the Gen Zero thing. We don't know what the use cases for this are. The two that I gave, which were uh, gaming and uh, media consumption, watching Netflix on it. I mean, that's what you come to. But is there another thing that we're not getting here when it comes to spatial computing or VR? Is there another practical use that we can use? I Honestly, I don't know. I still look at the Apple Watch and say, why am I wearing this? So, you know, the Apple TV, I, I was so excited about because I thought the App Store on it this could do so many things. Turns out I'm just using it for streaming Disney Plus and Netflix. So uh, mm. who knows what there is? Look, I totally, I'm with you because you, it's a visual thing. But I, I get a little bit nervy when we say, oh, well, that's visual. So it's nothing to do with you blind people over there. I, I don't know. I, there's more to it than that. But it's, it's not I'm an a blind easy guy. question. Yes. I'm not going to buy this thing. You can... are, are, are you telling me there's loads of totally blind people that are queuing up that are going to buy no, 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 Vision Pro? No, 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 absolutely not. Even four generations down the line? I mean, is it going to be the case that we could just use a phone and something else? I mean, I don't know. Well, you I, can I, say look, that now. It's, we, it's, maybe it's early days and that's the problem. Maybe it's the form factor that's putting us you've off. You've just maybe bought the Meta the glasses. Thing. Yeah. The Meta Ray-Ban glasses. Now, if the Vision Pro, if we had all that computing power, all the cameras, all the processing of the sensors available that are in the Vision Pro in a form factor like a, just a pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses, are you telling me you wouldn't be interested in that? The ability, the wearable camera, which is something that we all want as blind people. We want the ability for a wearable camera on our face. I mean, even that is something that interests me. The screens in front of my eyes don't, obviously. Maybe it is just yeah. the form factor. And that wraps up another big week of conversation on our Double Tap 
YouTube channel. You can find it by going to youtube.com forward slash and then use the at symbol and then type in double tap video. So that's youtube.com forward slash at double tap video. That will give you access to the channel where you can go and subscribe. But of course, you can also catch it every Sunday here on AMI-audio and on podcast as well. Catch up with the best of YouTube and our conversations. Don't forget you can comment either on YouTube itself or by emailing feedback at doubletaponair.com or call one 803 4567 and leave us a voicemail. You've been listening to the best of Double Tap on YouTube. New videos are published throughout the week. To make sure you don't miss out, head to YouTube and subscribe now. Search for Double Tap Video. Thanks for listening and catch you next time. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.